Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Covenant keeping God, we give you thanks and praise for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your desire to be known to us and by us and through us. And so we pray that you would help us to hear your word well, that you would help us to um, root it deep in us, that it would bring to blossom uh, the good things of your kingdom, the fruit of your spirit for the sake of your world. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds would be acceptable in your sight. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I, I have to confess that I sat for a long time trying to figure out how to start this sermon. I mean, kind of an embarrassingly long time. And I, I don't think it was just, you know, two weeks off and trying to get back in the swing of things. And it's not just because I don't have any good anecdotes about exorcism. Um, I think it's the that the, even with Mark's really kind of typically sparse storytelling, you know, St. Mark is never one for extra details, right? He's always in a rush, uh, much more urgent than his colleagues. It, it only takes him 20 verses to get Jesus born and baptized and preaching and calling his first disciples. You know, and in spite of that, in spite of Mark's sparseness of storytelling, uh, or maybe because of it, maybe because of it, there, there's just a whole lot going on in these few sentences, these eight verses. It's hard to know exactly where to start. I mean, what are we going to grab hold of as St. Mark rushes past? And maybe that's the place to start. Maybe the place to start is by acknowledging that this story is short and kind of straightforward as it seems to be. It can actually start to make our heads spin if we pay attention to it. And that's probably part of the point here at the beginning of the gospel. I think we're left with more questions than answers. We're just getting started. 
And I think one of the most helpful things we can do is recognize that uh, this comes right on the heels of Jesus calling his first disciples. Mark tells us right from the very first verse that the gospel that he's about to tell us is, is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. A few verses later, he tells us that Jesus' most basic sermon is repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. And now we're being invited to see what that good news is all about, what that kingdom is going to be about, along with the other disciples we're, we're invited in to come and see. You know, it's as if Mark wants to say, um, if, if you want to know what Jesus is up to, if you want to be his disciple, if you want to know what it means to say that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed king of God's kingdom, this is where we're going to start. Come and see what kind of trouble Jesus can get us into. And I, I want to look at three things this morning. Uh, the first is that, that Jesus has to do with our everyday, ordinary lives. Now, this is a familiar theme, but I think it's worth repeating because we forget it all the time. Jesus has to do with our everyday, ordinary lives. The, the second thing is that Jesus comes as one who has authority. And the third thing is what that authority is going to look like. Okay, so number one, whatever Jesus is about has to do with our everyday ordinary lives. You know, the first thing that Mark tells us uh, happens after Jesus calls his disciples is that they go to a place. Right now, in the grand scheme of things, I, I don't think it matters that they went to Capernaum. I, I'm willing to bet that most of us couldn't find Capernaum on a map. Uh, in a gospel that's short on details, this doesn't seem to be one that's especially important. Except except that it reminds us that life with Jesus is, is a tangible feet-on-the-ground uh, experience, reality. You know, discipleship, following Jesus, learning to do what Jesus does, isn't simply a, a, a spiritual or private experience. The point of discipleship is not to float slightly above the ordinary things of life, indifferent to the times and places we find ourselves in. When we're called by Jesus, we're not called out of the world, but, but towards it. Our formation uh, as people formed in the way of Jesus, and that's what discipleship is. It's to be formed in the way of Jesus. Uh, that only ever takes place in a place. Learning from Jesus, becoming like Jesus, participating in the things that Jesus does requires that we pay attention to where we are. You know, the ordinary and everyday places and spaces that we spend our time. They went to Capernaum. And on the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue, just like everybody else in town. You know, they're, they're part of the ordinary rhythms of the community. And then the story right after this takes place in Simon and Andrew's house with Simon's mother-in-law, who was sick and then isn't, and then serves them a meal. Ordinary things, ordinary places. And this is instructive. Because Christians are often susceptible to the lie that our faith is primarily a private and spiritual reality. In fact, these days we're encouraged to think so. You know, it's fine if you want to pray and read your Bible and go to church and all, but, but don't bring that stuff to work. And don't bring it back to our neighborhoods. Keep, it, uh, keep your spiritual practice to yourself. You know, we've got a different set of rules over here than over there. And of course, there are unhealthy and unhelpful and inappropriate ways of resisting that lie. Uh, the desire to live our faith publicly can cause us to be obnoxious or dismissive of others or, or to make us act in any number of ways that don't look very much like Jesus. Some of us may want to keep quiet of, about our faith and save it for the appropriate times precisely because some of our siblings in Christ have gotten a little carried away. 
No, but but Mark, Mark makes clear that right from the beginning that anyone who will follow Jesus, who will be about his kingdom of God work, is called not away from the world, but towards it. Discipleship only matters if it matters where we are. They went to Capernaum, to the synagogue, to Simon and Andrew's place. See, the primary challenge for us as Christians is, is not when and where to exercise our faith or when and where to live out what we believe. The primary challenge for Christians is, is how to creatively live it when and wherever we are. Whether that's at work or on the playground or in classrooms or boardrooms in our neighborhoods and households. How do we live out creatively the will and way of Jesus? And, and the reason that matters is the second point. The second point is that whenever Jesus enters those places, he has authority in them. Jesus shows up to us, with us, and for us as one who has authority. He calls his disciples and they follow. He, he teaches the people and they sit up and pay attention. He commands the unclean spirits and even they obey him. You know, lest we miss the point, we're told it twice in these eight verses. He has authority. But, but it's a complicated thing here because, because Mark doesn't really give us a clear sense of, of what it is that reveals his authority. You know, what makes Jesus' teaching different from other teachers? We don't hear. You know, if you caught the daily reflection for the Salt of the Earth Christian Seasons calendar yesterday, which you can find at uhill.net forward slash daily, if you don't get it, uh, Doug, who's writing our reflections these days, pointed out that it's a challenge to know what it means to say that Jesus has authority. Kate's got the address there if you want to check it out, because you should check out today's as well. It, it rounds out some of what I'm going to say really well. Uh, um, you know, I can keep my sermon shorter if you go and read uh, Doug's devotional. So thank you, Doug. Um, but still, even if it's complicated, if we want to be in on what Jesus is up to in the world, we need to understand that he comes with authority. We don't just look at Jesus as a model of a good and virtuous life. We don't just acknowledge that he's a teacher, even the best teacher in the world. The, ba we do, the basic confession uh, uh, is uh, Christian confession is not that Jesus is a great guy. The basic Christian confession, the church's first confession, is that Jesus is Lord, that he has authority. And the trouble, of course, is we don't deal very well with authority these days. You know, we have a lot of distorted ideas about authority. And we may even be quite resistant to the idea that anyone has authority over us. I mean, we've seen authority abused. We've experienced authority as, as control and manipulation. We, we, we know that authority in the wrong hands and sometimes even in the right hands can be a troublesome and dangerous thing. We're probably right to be skeptical of claims of authority. We're right to be cautious about allowing another to have authority. If authority makes you squirm, then, then that's okay. Yeah, but we've also seen what happens uh, when those who should have authority aren't afforded it, right? We, we live in a time and place where my opinion is uh, as valid as any experts, um, at least to me, <laughs> right? We, we, we've seen how susceptible people are to conspiracy theories. We often disagree about what the basic facts are. We're quick to latch on to what we like, and which may or may not necessarily be true. And who are you to tell me what to do anyways? Right? I, I, I'm the first and final authority on my life, thank you very much, and you're, you live your truth, and I'll live my truth, and that's the only way that we can coexist. Authority is a tricky thing. We, we need it, 
anarchy is no better than authoritarianism and we resist it we we don't want to be controlled now so part of living life well i think is deciding who gets authority and we're always making that choice maybe it is just me maybe maybe i'm going to do what i want or maybe it's letting others in my life have control or the culture around me or the notifications on my smartphone maybe that's what's deciding how i'll live everybody's serving somebody the question isn't will we allow for authority but whose authority will define and shape our lives mark says that jesus shows up as one who has authority eventually the basic christian confession is jesus is lord the ultimate authority. And it's a good thing to remember that, that when Christians started saying that, it was essentially a political statement, right? It pitted Jesus against Caesar. It pitted Jesus' kingdom against the Roman Empire, the way of Jesus against the way of the emperor. Because everybody in Jesus' day knew that Caesar was Lord. That was what they called him. That's what that was printed on the money and written on the plaques. You know, Caesar's word was the word by which people lived and died. So it's quite a thing when folks start to say that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar, that Jesus' authority counts for more than Caesar's. And then in the context of the synagogue where we find Jesus today, it pits him against certain types of religious authority as well. When, when he speaks, it's not just another religious instruction among many. It's, it's something altogether new. It demands not just assent or agreement, but allegiance and even obedience, which is another dirty word I know. This is a serious authority. Even the unclean spirits obey. And here we, we probably need to turn aside for a second and talk about unclean spirits or, or demons as they're called in a few verses. Because that doesn't seem, tend to be something we talk a whole lot about in our church. Maybe, maybe we should talk more. I don't know. Uh, but in C.S. Lewis's great little book, The Screwtape Letters, uh, which is a series of letters of instruction from a senior demon to a junior demon. Uh, if you haven't read it, you should. It's great fun. Uh, but one of the things the senior demon says early on is that their greatest accomplishment is making people not believe in them because people don't pay attention to what they don't believe in. And now I know it's a work of fiction. Don't, you know, like I appreciate it's a work of fiction, but I've never been able to quite shake uh, that there's something true in it. Yeah, and I know one of the reasons we don't like to talk about spiritual possession is that we understand bodies and minds better than humans have at any other time in history. Not everything that's unusual is demonic, and, and that's good news. And I don't think we need to personify evil and imagine a little devil on our shoulders, but, but I do think that there's a danger in assuming that whatever is spiritual is good. Right, which we seem to kind of do more often than not in our time and place. Right, when so, whenever someone tells me that they're spiritual but not religious, the assumption is that that's a pretty good thing, not that they're off like worshiping demons. Right, but there there are a few problems with the idea that everything that is spiritual is good. Not the least of which is that it doesn't actually make sense of our experience. Right, Saint Paul says in his letter to the Romans that whenever I want to do good, it, it seems like evil's lurking around the corner. And that, that may seem a little extreme, but I think it's also pretty familiar, right? We, we know what we ought to do and we don't do it. We know what we should do, shouldn't do rather, and, and we do it anyways. And we talk about temptation in ways that are, are, are make it clear that it's, it's quite personal, that there's something visceral happens, right? Something gets a hold of us and, and pulls us in a direction we would not go. 
and we make up our minds to break an addiction or stop speaking or thinking in a certain way or whatever, and we find out that our willpower isn't enough to change our patterns and, and behaviors. Our lives betray the fact that knowing better is not the same as doing better, and sometimes those things are not even related. There's something working against our best. There's something working against what we're made for, for freedom and flourishing. There's something working against what God wants for us. And it doesn't seem to be just about uh, logistics or politics. It, it seems to be spiritual. You know, in another letter, Paul says that, that sin is the stuff that binds us and weighs us down. And we know what he's talking about, don't we? We've, we've all got stuff. The, the world seems to be consumed by stuff that all our best will and effort can't seem to shake. Like we don't have authority to get rid of it. And what, what Mark makes clear from the beginning of Jesus' ministry is that Jesus does have that authority. And the first and most important thing that Mark wants disciples of Jesus to see and to know is that Jesus' authority means freedom from what binds us, which is the third thing I want to notice. You know, whatever is going on in this guy who is against what Jesus is saying, it, it holds him captive. And I'm kind of interested in how this went down. You got to kind of imagine the scene. Like, what is it that got him all stirred up? Why does he assume that, that Jesus is here to destroy us? I mean, does anyone else know that this is an unclean spirit or, or, and not just a disagreement or low blood sugar? I mean, it makes me think about the times in my life, uh, the, the things in my life where I've said implicitly or explicitly, well, we can't do what Jesus says here because that would be a disaster, right? It, it makes me think of the, the things in my own life that are in conflict with, the, with what Jesus teaches, even if it's something as simple as a stubborn refusal to forgive well or to love someone who's driving me nuts or some unhealthy pattern of thought. And I got to wonder in those moments, why I think my decision is better than what Jesus wants. Who am I giving authority to? What's got a hold of me in those moments? Why do I think that if it's what Jesus wants, that it will be anything other than perfect freedom? Because that's what we see here. Jesus doesn't just tell the unclean spirit to be quiet and behave in church. He commands the unclean spirit to come out. And whether that means the destruction of the spirit or not, I don't know. But what it makes perfectly clear is, is that it means freedom for the man. What bound him is cast off. Jesus' authority means freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free, Paul says in Galatians. Whatever is binding us will not have the last word on us. To come willingly under Jesus' authority, and we only ever come willingly under Jesus' authority. To root our lives in, in scripture and prayer, in worship and meditation, to be shaped according to his will and way is to receive freedom because his authority is the authority of the one who doesn't grasp at power and control, but empties himself for the sake of love, empties himself for the sake of us. His authority is the authority of the one that sets captives free and raises the dead. His authority is not the kind that destroys, but the kind that heals. Not the kind that binds, but the kind that sets free. Not the kind that manipulates us for some ulterior purpose, but the kind that transforms us and makes us new so that we can be what we are meant to be. 
It's the authority that equips and permits us to live here and now and in our ordinary everyday lives in the hope that God will get the world that God wants, that the kingdom of God has indeed come impossibly near and nearer yet. Jesus' authority is the authority that sets us free to be about the hope and peace and joy and love of God for us in this world, to be bound by nothing less. And when the sun sets us free, as St. John says, we are free indeed. So may we receive that freedom. May we know it and live it, now and forever. Amen.